You're listening to Bits and Pieces on Sunrise Robot. I'm one of your hosts, Matt Duncan, out of Gelsenkirchen, Germany. And I'm Michael Edwards out of Denver, Colorado. And we thrive on the support of our listeners, so please check out sunriserobot.net slash support to see some ways you can help us out. It is episode 58, and how many times are you still going to be able to say from Denver, Colorado again? Uh, probably maybe three or four more episodes. Ah, all right. Um... We're going to start this episode with technically a little bit of follow-up because once again, NME has done something that NME always does. I'm talking about the music magazine, which I don't know, do they actually still like produce physical magazines or is this just an online platform nowadays? <laughs> I, um, I, I don't know. Uh, so at the time of recording this episode and I counted them, well, Glastonbury is happening. Adele is playing Glastonbury. So obviously everything is going to be about Glastonbury on the front page. Um, yeah, as of recording this episode, there are exactly 13 articles just about Adele, plus a few more which are technically still about Adele because it's something like, oh, what Tame Impala had to say about seeing Adele live at Glastonbury. Uh. It's just, guys, there are other artists like, there's a whole festival. Every half hour to hour, you will see new artists, and it's all about Adele. And yes, maybe yeah. Adele is... Ah, there, there's the other Tame Impala say seeing Adele at Glastonbury will be a religious moment. Like, not even that they have seen uh. her, and it was a religious moment. Like, the assumption of some other artist about Adele. That's another front-page article for uh, Enemy. <laughs> wow. Adele farted. Get an article out. Yeah. It's like the clickbaitiest thing I've seen in a while and uh. <laughs> let's get into our regular show. Um, we have another lawsuit that finally cleared up in the last few days, last week. Um, another So last week or last episode, we talked about the uh, lawsuit between um, the, the case between Kraftwerk and the producer Moses P., and it all went into the favor of Moses P, who sampled a drum track by Kraftwerk years and years and years ago, like I think 89, no, not 97, 98, something around that. Uh, yeah, he won. And now we got another lawsuit. And this is between Led Zeppelin and I believe not technically the people in the band, but the descendants of uh, some of the band from uh, Taurus. Um, or was the band called Wait, was the band called Taurus or was the band called Spirit? Uh, I think the band was called Spirit, but yeah, the we're song just showing our ignorance. So yeah, it's it's Taurus. Uh, the way they put it here in the um, article and in the YouTube video, it's like which way is it now? Just please, the best of Spirit. So yeah, before we even talk about it, let's let me actually just play a sample of what this was all about. Obviously, the Stairway to Heaven guitar intro, very well known and very prohibited 
to be played in any guitar store around the world. <laughs> if you've um, watched Wayne's World. <laughs> I believe it, it's actually a reality. Like, I don't believe anybody would still want to hear that <laughs> riff in a guitar store nowadays. Together with, like, Smoke on the Water or something. Oh, uh, yeah. it smells like Teen Spirit. Um, so we now heard the comparison and what would what's your verdict now just completely separate off the lawsuit which we're going to talk about in a second well i mean they sound extremely similar it's like the walk down like chord progression is nearly identical or at least in the the first several chords and i don't care that's not good enough to sue someone like it's too bad like we only have so many notes in music and and like unless they're stealing lyrics or actually sampling, which we found out even that may not be <laughs> uh, <laughs> something you can sue for. Um, it's it's one of those, it's sort of like my reaction to a lot of Samsung stuff. It's like, yeah, they copied it, and it doesn't matter. that You shouldn't be able to be sued for that. Um, and I'm, I mean, it, it may not have been a conscious copy. And there's people are like, well, Led Zeppelin was on tour with them. They opened for them once in 1960-something and it's like, yeah, but you, so what? Like, <laughs> it doesn't mean they stole the song. They just, yeah, you know, Leibniz and Newton can both come up with calculus separately. <laughs> they don't have to go on tour to do it. Yeah, um, yeah the chords are very similar, and um, but obviously, yeah, chords are just chords. Now they aren't just typically right like your regular seven chords or six chords that you would use in any scale like there there are little special things in there but nonetheless it's just chords and yeah it's, i think it's only like the really the first four that are really actually the same and then the picking is pretty similar but then again also guitar picking if you like on the one you play with your thumb like you play the bass the, the root note and then you like start picking up there it's always going to start kind of similar and then in the in the stairway to heaven intro they very quickly fade in extra stuff that wasn't in the taurus and then again this is the intro like of course stairway to heaven is a vastly popular song and a very successful song but it it's not just the intro that this song is about like if this if the song has the best intro in the world but the rest of the song sucks well you have a shitty song then so obviously they must have done something on their own which made this song as great as it is and maybe it was based on the idea of some intro but yeah it's based on the idea of something it's not stealing the actual implementation of that something or the, the product of the, the sum of the ideas it's just yeah that sounds nice as an intro let's do that like i've i do that kind of stuff a ton like sometimes i actually i in, in my song focus there is a melody that's ripped right out of cosmo canyon from final fantasy 7 i'm not even trying to hide it <laughs> but there is no reason to because the song you, nobody's gonna put that song on. oh yeah i love when like four minutes in that one cosmo canyon melody comes in like yeah but if the song around that sucks that doesn't help me in any way yeah well and i think it's a good time to point out that country song mashup we shared probably a long time ago <laughs> Um, Sir Mash a lot where, you know, it's like six different country songs that perfectly flow together as one song because they're the same damn thing. And yeah. this is just a, a fact of life in music and in many art forms that everything's a remix. Uh, if you want to claim first, there's someone's going to find some prior art, um, eventually. Um, 
Imagine so if the typographers in- uh, were, were having like the same kind of struggles and like, oh, this font looks very similar to this other font. Yeah, no shit. They're the same letters. <laughs> Ariel and Helvetica. Um, one of the weird aspects of the case is the jurors were only allowed to compare sheet music for the two songs. They weren't allowed uh, to listen. Just the composition, not the actual interpretation. Yeah. And that's just an interesting point to me. Like, what's the legal rationale for that? Is that only the notes matter or like the, the you know, relative to the scale, the notes are the only thing that matter? Um, hmm. That's a dangerous kind of thing to suggest, I'd say. But um, but then we saw with the, the was it the Robin Thicke and the yeah. uh, Marvin, Marvin Gaye? Yeah. yeah. That it wasn't the notes because there were differences in the notes. It was the it feel. Was the, the overall feel, which is probably the worst. That was re- uh, yeah, way to handle it. Worst way. Um, yeah, it, um, I mean, there's also when you want to cover a song, like actually get the license to do a cover version of a song and sell that one. Aren't you also like technically buying the rights to use the original composition? Like it. Like even legally, it always was separate from the performance or the interpretation that the composition yeah. stands on its own, and that's what you're actually licensing then. Yeah, because the companies sell recordings, but as a songwriter, you own a more abstract concept of what the song is, not yes. just the particular recording of it. And that's that's a whole can of worms that we'll probably be arguing about in courts forever. Yeah. I mean, there's there will be some kind of copyright on something always, but yeah, the problem is just as we saw once again in this case, where you draw the line, where does it start being something somebody else already made, and um, with more and more music coming out, just because time is moving on, and then even more people getting into music, making their own music, everybody, every like every time somebody picks up a guitar and improvises something he's playing something somebody else already wrote years ago yeah that's just something we got to live with and try to be um i guess try to be original or just live with the fact that yes we are going to sound similar to something else but the chances of somebody else having heard that something else are slim unless you compare it to all pop songs so yeah just try to stay away from pop clichés <laughs> But then again, they also used... work well. Like, just do whatever, man. <laughs> I think it used to be a lot simpler before sampling became an art form. Because yeah. it used to just be like, hey, don't use our recording ever. <laughs> or we will come for you and it'll be really black and white that you yeah. can't do that. And then it was like, but I'm just slicing out pieces and using Like, people cut out of magazines and make things... You know, serial killer letters and probably actual art too. And so why can't I do that with music? Yeah. And then if you get into like micro genres and like, uh, or not even micro genres, like this whole dubstep or bro step, like Skrillex, like dubstep, isn't that on paper also like always the same? I know they sound different and I actually enjoy a lot of it, but yeah, on paper it's the same. Or you take a lot of retro wave, it's like, okay, you put 16 notes on the bass, and but you sidechain them to the kick so they always pump up and yeah, all the songs then. Who stole whose idea? Like, let me, let, let's just not get into this at all. <laughs> I'm 
kind of happy this uh, lost channel's way. And also, um, I don't, I don't know if it's in the article, but actually, when I heard this on the radio, which is how I found out about the story, um, um, so the uh, the people who sued in the name of uh, Spirit or was it Taurus? What was it again? Now, um, Spirit demand. Yes, yeah, Spirit of Spirit. Um, they weren't really actually into it for the money. It was just like, yeah, we just want that person to get writing credit for kind of influencing it at least. And yeah, that still not getting that. Um, <laughs> like that's, that's a lot of um, effort you're putting into just getting a name printed on something that let's be honest, nobody's going to read. Well, they at least want to be part of the trivia about Led Zeppelin. Yeah. Which I understand, like, as a sentiment, of course, but that's a lot of effort just to get a name printed or something retroactively, like, yeah, not in it for money. I'm not going to make, <laughs> not st trying to state anything here, but I'm skeptical. Just saying. Um, let's move on to this next uh, article. So there's this thing in the U.S. called the DMCA, and most people hate it from all sorts of political camps. And one of the features of this, this kind of came after 9-11, was a Digital Millennium Copyright Act that introduced a whole bunch of new technological powers to the government. But some of it, um, there's this thing called Safe Harbor, and this is like the one thing that is kind of great about it, but it's controversial. It's the reason why YouTube can still exist, why SoundCloud can still exist, yeah. and every image host on the world can still exist. And the basic idea is if people upload illegal stuff, uh, infringing stuff on these platforms, you can't sue the platform for it. You can make them take it down, and there's like a, a vague but somewhat reasonable process for... Taking actually, that's pretty controversial too. Um, how easy it is to take things down, even but there has to be some point. kind of way to get the platform to take it down. And usually, what happens is they have to take it down first, and then you can start arguing about if it was lawful yeah. to take it down. Like that's afterwards. But first of all, if I say this YouTube video infringes on my rights, they have to take it down. That's basically yeah. the gist of it. So the uh, the reason this is coming up again, I mean, this has been around for a, a while now, um, 15 years, I guess, at least, um, is uh, a bunch of uh, musicians and artists have gotten together to put together a petition, um, basically asking Congress to change Safe Harbor and specifically to change it in ways that are good for musical artists. And um, this was an article on Pitchfork, and so they got Jack White and Trent Reznor and Beck and a whole bunch of other people um, commenting on this and it seems really specifically angry at youtube like they're they're <laughs> they're they're arguing about the the general concept because you know it could be anyone but really it's youtube it's the fact that um any song you ever want to hear there will be a hundred uh different copies some of them will be the worst sounding things ever but they will be uploaded all over youtube and it will still have hd in the title <laughs> hd ps4 remake um but if, you know, and even if you get it taken down, a hundred other little, you know, gophers will pop up out of the ground and you won't be able to, you know, th there's no winning. Like, if you're a popular artist, your songs will be all over YouTube and there's really nothing you can do about it. Um, even if you go on... There's a, one thing you can do. You can put it up yourself. Yeah. That's the can't beat them, join them kind of approach. 
And so like I, I'm sympathetic to the fact that artists just don't have control. Um, yes. And that's frustrating if you really want that control over what happens with your music. Um, but beyond that, I don't think what they want to do would be good for the internet or good for consumers or, um, like, how would you solve this problem? Do you make YouTube liable and then none of these services exist? And it's only, you have to go to Spotify and iTunes and you can never hear anything anywhere else. The question of how is my first problem with this uh, situation is, yes, Congress, please make something, please revamp this new, uh, this, this law, please implement something that's better for the artist. Well, what do you want? What is it that you want? There is no easy answer to that. And it's, you can't especially ask Congress, who have no idea how to send their own emails, how to solve this very complicated problem that we've, as a community, I would say, been trying to solve for a lot of years now. And we still haven't found a way to, to like, there is things like common courtesy of people shouldn't do it, but they are going to do it. So let's figure out some way of making everybody win in this situation. And it's always this us versus them mentality of artists versus YouTube, YouTube versus the artists. Like, can we, I know it's easy, easier said than done, but can we just get together and figure something out together? Because a platform like YouTube where everybody just uploads anything and probably your music is on as well, things like that aren't going to go away in, in the year 2016 and onwards. Like there is no step back from this convenience anymore and it's not going to happen so I know it's not the best situation, but let's make the best out of it together instead of trying to push some law that would make it harder for YouTube to exist, which has a lot of other important and wide-reaching facets. There's a whole industry that is just pushing away television right now that is happening on YouTube, which has nothing to do with this whole copyright yeah. music thing that you would take down with you just because you're trying to take youtube down in some way fudging around with their process of handling like material would they now have to pre-approve everything that would be like the downfall of this whole platform this is just not going to happen but at the same time yes we should figure out some way but it's just not this let, let's not make this a versus thing yeah well and here's a really telling paragraph um, from the pitchfork article as for what might potentially replace the safe harbor provision the details aren't clear the U.S. Copyright Office has singled out, <laughs> quote, the cost and burdens of the notice and takedown process on large and small-scale copyright owners, online service providers, and the general public, as well as the debate over how to treat a repeat infringer. Um, but there's no details. They're just saying, hey, this sucks. Do something. And so it's Man. like, I agree, like, for artists, this does suck, um, but the collateral damage of making it good for you destroys so many other good things that I just can't support yes. it. And unless there's some magical threading the needle way to, to deal with this. And basically services like Spotify and iTunes, uh, Apple music, Google play music, um, everywhere where you're streaming music while paying for something or listening to commercials like that's, probably the best compromise we can get right now that's the most uncomplicated one because everybody can just listen to the music on there and yes they will have to listen to some commercials or pay a little a small sum of money 
But then there's the problem of, yeah, this is not going to throw off a lot of money for us. And so here comes the point where consumers just don't want to spend any more in email. Yeah, the market like, won't bear a higher price anymore. Yes. And I totally understand both sides here because I am on both sides. I also would like to not have to pay a lot. But at the same time, as a musician, I would love for my music to have the value that I think it has. And even if I'm not going to reach that threshold, like it shouldn't be really down there on the floor. Yeah. Like that's the other extreme. So that's also something that culturally we would have to change in people's minds of, hey, those $10 you're paying a month for Spotify, those should really be $20 and you shouldn't feel bad about this. Yeah. But try to change that. <laughs> Right now, in, in the situation I'm in, like my my standard of living, I could totally bear paying twenty dollars for it. But I'm still on the student plan on Spotify for five because I can. <laughs> so I'm not I'm not saying that I'm not part somehow of that problem. But I don't I don't know. Uh, I mean, I still buy music directly from artists on Bandcamp, even if I've been listening to them on Spotify for some time. I want to support them. But I'm also not going to pay everybody $10 for their whole album that I maybe <laughs> listened to once. So there has to be some kind of middle way. And technically the streaming services are that middle way. But then again, that's also like, and also we've heard that those streaming services, they don't pay out as much because the, again, the big labels, they are taking like the huge sum of that money, uh, because of their exclusive, um, um, contracts with those services. Yeah. So, they are also like, again, taking away stuff like this third party that we should have gotten rid of years ago. Like now let me, let me be really anarchy, anarchy uh, style and go like, get rid of the labels. But seriously, do we need them? Uh, um, I know I'm rambling right now, but it's just yeah. such a complicated situation that can't be solved by asking Congress to, Hey, please make a new law. Yeah. I really don't think that's going to do it. Um, you really, it is that mix of consumer behavior and what the market will bear. Um, so I guess we all just need to sign up for lossless title and then there <laughs> we go. But part of the aesthetic of my music is that it's not lossless. Like the MP3 artifacts, that's <laughs> part of the music that I want. Like other people want their vinyl crackling and the warmth. I want my artifacts. You can pre-render those artifacts into your lossless master. Um so we have an, another topic we, I feel like we've danced around similar topics before. Um, and that's, uh, does music or any art have to be difficult to be impressive? Um, well, not, uh, I mean, the answer is yes, according to a, a YouTube comment. So we're basing this very robust discussion <laughs> on a YouTube comment, as you do. Um, so take us into this. Where, where did this happen? What is this guy saying? <laughs> I saw this, um, post on our synthesizers um about the uh let me let me look up the name again it's a, f a very old Fairchild synthesizer that i've actually seen before in a uh in a music store when they sold it for like twenty thousand euros uh it's the Fairchild a uh, fairlight not Fairchild fairlight cmi uh 2x um which is really look at the video it's really impressive piece of technology from i believe the 80s early 80s it had a not a touch screen, but you had like a pen to touch on the screen and it was a sampler. It was a sequencer. Like you could do a lot with that back in the days. Um, but at the same time, you look at back at it, like it's really archaic. And this is a great demo by uh, a great demo of that synthesizer. 
And then in the comments, yeah, yeah, I'm just going to read the comment here. What a pain in the ass for production. Kudos to the 80s era musical genius. Maybe that's partly responsible for never-ending shite flow of horrendous music nowadays. Logic Pro on Mac and consumer retardedness. No actual work to make music. Uh. That's a lot of opinion in one comment. So let's step through this uh, sentence by sentence. What a pain in the ass for production. Yes. Okay, I can agree with that. Kudos to the 80s era musical genius. Also true. Like if there's that's all synth. you have and you have <laughs> to make something out of it, like, yes, really kudos to them, like pulling through with this kind of production. I mean, if you aren't used to something more comfortable, of course, like in 10 years, I'm going to look at back at the way I'm using Ableton and probably say like, wow, how could I ever work on this kind of low level? Maybe. <laughs> um but still, and then here's the part that that's really critical of, again, modern music production style, maybe. Maybe that's partly responsible for the never-ending shite flow of horrendous music nowadays. And slow, please slow down, slow down. <laughs> what music are you exactly talking about? Yeah, I find that this kind of like everything's terrible now, everything used to be great is such an annoying argument. It's such yeah. a fallacy. Um, of course, it seems like the 60s, the 70s, the 80s, the 90s, probably even the, the aughts now are like viewed through some rose tinted glasses because you only think about all the most genius records that came out in those eras, the singles that like shaped the entire future. And you've seen over the decades how they influenced everything. And you're not thinking about the mountain of crap that came out constantly <laughs> alongside, you know, like with Nirvana, there was like a million other shitty grunge bands that are completely forgettable and who cares? Um, you know, you know, pick a genre, pick an era and you'll have the same thing. And so this whole like, oh, everything's so stupid now is it just has no value to me as an argument. Yeah, totally. And as far as uh, software, where does this idea come from that things have to be hard (laughs) to be good? Um, I do think it's actually a complicated thing um, because we do like to celebrate achievements that are difficult, um, that are something new or something that was hard to accomplish. Um, we like to marvel at that, but then why, uh, or, you know, is that always appropriate? Um, and I think it's least appropriate when you're using it to look down on another piece of art. I yes. think you have to take yes. everything, uh, be a little more independent with your assessments of things. And I can yeah. say, you know, one of the things I marvel at, you know, like my favorite artist, Sufjan is how easy it seems for him because so much of his stuff is seems hard to do or hard to pull off. And he pulls it off like every year. And you're just like, oh, God. <laughs> um, but I, then I, I don't then go to, say, my pick of the week this week, The War on Drugs, and be like, hey, this song, um, this is a really great song. I don't think anything about it was particularly hard to accomplish, but I really like the song. And I think that yeah. that can stand on its own separately. And I just wanted to say that, where does that argument come from of that today the music software would be easy to use it's still not easy like i'm seeing a ton of threads on reddit of people asking how do i do this basic thing in music software x obviously it isn't really all that easy it's not easy to pull through and actually produce 
something, a full song, a full AP or album and release that thing. Once you've gotten to that point, you probably have reached some base level that, yeah, it could still be shit. But in the same way, uh, a few friends who bought themselves guitars and drums put them in a, in a garage and they will produce some shit probably. Like there, and playing guitar is hard. Playing drums is hard. Singing yep. can be hard. Still, there's going to come shit out of it. Having ideas of what to make is hard. Yes. <laughs> that will always be hard um, or easy. You'll just mess around and something will happen. Um, you know, one of my other examples for this stupid debate is the the movie last year, The Revenant with Leonardo DiCaprio. Because so much was made, and I think this was part of the marketing too, was like, this movie was so hard to make. Leo almost died freezing in the river. And I, I'm just like, I don't care. Is it a good movie? And by all counts, it's, it's a very interesting movie and very beautifully shot. So it probably is pretty good. But I don't care that he almost died. <laughs> it doesn't really impact how good the movie is to me. Just as a side note to, to that, uh, talking about the way they're now promoting movies, about the way it was shot more than the actual content of the movie, the way they've been in the last, is it almost two years, been hyping up uh, Jared Leto as the Joker. Yeah. And every week there's a new article that he sent some dead animals to some other actor. Like he's acting out the Joker and he's crazy. And he used the Joker voice during a concert. Like... This is just, I, I, I'm really not interested at all in this movie, but if it is going to be the shit roller coaster that it probably is going to be, <laughs> I'm going to watch that. And well, it worked. Like <laughs> the advertisement worked on me in that case. Yeah. And what is it about the Joker that is just the playground for like, who can p come up with the meanest, most insane depiction next? Um, I guess that's just sort of the history of the part. Yeah. Helps Which is probably why clown. why they're like exaggerating the Jared Leto Joker in the news everywhere all the time. Like, ah. But that's movies. Do we have a <laughs> podcast for movies? Can we pluck some Sunrise Robot podcast for that? I mean, you know, Pseudo Show occasionally talks about movies. Um, you should have Jared Leto on there. <laughs> You're right. I should. I, I don't know what's been holding <laughs> me back. I will give him a call. <laughs> All right, what's Alicia Keys doing? Well, you couldn't give Jared Leto a call if you were visiting an Alicia Keys concert, unless you went out of the venue. Um, oh, wow. I'm sorry for that <laughs> horrible segue. Alicia Keys is now part of a group of artists that now um, prohibit you, basically, from keeping your phone with you when you are visiting her or when you're seeing her in concert. Um, the way it works is basically they take your phone when you get in and they put it into this little pouch that's lockable or that like automatically locks when you close it and only you the owner can then open it back up when you go back out so it's like you're leaving your code there and you're leaving your phone there you don't have it on you but if you need it you can always go back and open it so it's yours it's not going away it's not just put somewhere and who knows who's watching it like obviously they should take care of it like any other um piece of property but um you're not having your phone on your on you so you can 
uh, supposedly really in real life experience the concert. And we've heard about other artists doing that. Um, Dave Chappelle, he's really, really secretive about his live act. He wants you to see it the first time when you see him. And he doesn't want any leaks on the internet. So also there, you have to give your phone away. So now there's this company that makes these little pouches that where you can put the phone in, it locks and it's like, yeah, not really high tech, but it's like, uh, it's not as simple as put your phone on this uh, table. And we have this one in, uh, intern who's watching the phone so it doesn't get away. <laughs> so what did you, what do you think about this whole sentiment of, Let's make sure everybody's actually watching watching, and don't rely on them not pulling on their phone. Let's take away their phones. Um, I mean, that's going to be controversial, taking people's phones, because if there's any device more central to modern life, it's your smartphone, you know, above every single other piece of technology. But I, I totally get it. Like, I hate glowing screens at shows. It's so annoying. It's obnoxious. And, you know, whether I'm playing the show and I'm like, ugh, like, I don't care if you're taking a picture or, you know, worse, that you know, they're reading text or they're doing anything but paying attention. But, yeah, it it is sort of a this is why we can't have nice things kind of situation of, you know, you people stop holding your screens up. Um, but as for whether this will really catch on where you can really force everyone to give up their phone, well, I mean, I don't see a legal problem with it because it's a private venue. They can have whatever rules they want um, so they can make you put your phone, you know, baseball stadiums might make you take stuff out of your bag or not bring it in. So it's kind of that kind of situation. But I don't know that it'll catch on at least at the general smaller show level. Because that's a hassle to implement a whole secure system for keeping phones. Um, you know, the other option is some light enforcement. Like, are you going to send bouncers through the concert to kick people out for holding phones up? And then that's just going to make people hate your venue. Or do you do what Adele did and scream or uh, say something at a person in the crowd about uh, like shaming that person of <laughs> why would you take your phone out? By the way, I saw that on NME. That would be the best solution, though, is the, the cultural shaming and cultural norms of just, yeah. like, a, a generation will grow up and just make that the, hey, don't be an asshole, stop it. And, like, the the look of your peers beside you would make you not do it. Um, I, I believe I've heard something, um, and I might be wrong on this, but I think it was actually Japan, where obviously politeness is a big thing culturally, where actually they all put their stuff at the back like at the back wall of the venue people just take their coats off they put their their, their bags there just leave them there they know nobody's going to touch them like it's culturally embedded that if you put your stuff back there it's safe there and also you won't like just hold up your phone in the middle of the crowd blocking anybody's view like they've got it down but that's a yeah. cultural thing that's hard to implement like anything else culturally especially if it's about prohibiting something it would just be so much robbery in the U.S. if you did that. And we're just such <laughs> terrible people. <laughs> I wish it could be that way. I wish I could trust everyone. I've never played a show where I felt like, please stop filming this for the reason of, uh, I don't want you to film this. It was mostly just the reason of, this video is not going to look good. It's not going to sound good. You're really not doing yourself a favor. Like anybody could, 
I I would be okay playing in front of a thousand people and everybody would be holding up their phones. That alone wouldn't be the problem. The problem would be how many of you are actually going to watch that video and it will be good quality that it would be would have been worth it to do that like if, if i see we've we've played a concert and somebody was filming us not with the ipad but with like some kind of other tablet that was really really low value and the like shitty just shitty and i was just thinking you are really making this worse for you than it could be like just watch the show the product you are like creating right now by filming this it's not going to be worth it um that's that's the whole reason like on the technical level i don't want people doing this because it's probably going to be shitty um so i guess one of the ways you could just do it is um i know this is like a lot of effort but um having having the concert always be filmed by not necessarily like a professional setup of like five cameras and all that but recording the out of the mixer shouldn't be too much of a problem putting one camera up on like the balcony that's make just that part right of your the ticket stage. price yeah you could just build and that in like even that simple setup and i know this the the mix that's going out of the front of house speakers is not going to be perfect because you are like mixing it with the sound from the stage but even that in combination with an angle from the balcony above is going to be 100 times better than any cell phone footage from the audience yeah. and as you said just Upload an MP4 like in in 1080p HD somewhere for everybody to download. Put the code on the ticket. There you go. Nobody has a reason to film the concert anymore. It's been filmed for them, and you would have to have one more person on you on the tour to to realize that technically. Well, and that'd be a good. I would. Pairing, I would be up for that. A good pairing with restricting the phones is saying, "Hey, you're going to get a high quality recording for free." Yeah. Um, so don't, don't, don't even bother. This. Yeah. Yeah. I think that would be the best solution. You're, you're creating one more job for the tour. Now, of course, that's easy to say. Tours are really expensive and you try to, to make it cheap as, as cheap as possible. But still, one more person with a camera that's taking the audio from the mixer. And yeah, just, just increase the price a little bit on the ticket, like $1 per, per ticket alone, just so everybody can get a good video. I mean, and I've seen a lot of those experiments where um, bands actually ask their fans to take m a, as many videos as possible and then somebody will edit them together into like a huge live show and they, of course, put in good audio because there's at least to be yeah. one good audio source. But obviously you can't do that every time. It takes a lot of work editing together 20 different videos. You have to decide which angle, but just yeah. put one camera up there. It's always going to be enough. No, but I really, I think that would be a good idea and nobody would have to have that phone taken away. Um, and part of it is not even like, um, yeah, but if you need it, you can still get it. Thing is, if somebody needs to re uh, reach you and if I've got my phone in my pocket, I can see, oh, this has to be an emergency. I better leave the venue so I can uh, talk to somebody on the phone. Yeah. How how, how do you want to respond to that situation? That's what your smartwatch is for. Yeah. Yeah. If that is, has enough connection to it, but still, like, I want to, it's not even about me, um, like not experiencing the, uh, the concert. It's about me being reachable by somebody else in case it is important. Yeah. This is also like the reason why I hated this policy that, which thankfully wasn't in my school of that students shouldn't have phones. Like, that's 
that's totally stupid. I agree that an eight-year-old doesn't have to have an iPhone, but I totally agree that you have have to have some re uh, way nowadays to reach an eight-year-old uh, to figure out why he's half an hour late from getting home from school if something happened. Yeah. Picks of the week. Yeah. Enough complaints. <laughs> you should start first because it's so mellow and relaxing. Okay. I picked a song by The War on Drugs called Red Eyes, and... I think it'll be obvious why I picked this song because I think people will know that I like this kind of song. Um, it's crack. It's crack. It's, uh, this song is unmistakably cut from a Bruce Springsteen cloth. Um, you, you know, throw his voice on it and you would wonder if it came from, you know, one of his eighties albums or something. Um, but it's, it's a great song and that's, that's why I'm sharing it. So let's listen to a little bit of the war on drugs. Representation of the, the the basic dynamic shift of it, um, that that little riff and that that holding on that other chord in between uh, each phrase is kind of the modus operandi of the song. Um, but it's just like it's a nice, it's like a good road trip song. You just want to hit the open road and chase the sunset, or I don't know something dramatic. <laughs> um, but it, it came up on uh, you know my discover playlist and. It, it just kind of stuck with me for several weeks, kind of like some of the other ones I pick. Um, you know, you you go back to like the Neon Bible era of Arcade Fire. You know, this could have been a song on that album. And really that's Absolutely. because they were ripping off Springsteen on that album. So um, it, <laughs> The Subups also had a bit of that. Yeah, definitely. So, I mean, what do you make of this song? I love this combination, like the, the general composition during the verse which is you have the the rhythm guitar, the bass, and the drums. They're giving like this pulsing bed for the vocals and the guitar to give like impulses on. Like every once in a while, you like the guitar and the vocals join in together, sing a short phrase, and then it's gone again. And you're back on that musical bed. And I just really like this idea. Going back to uh, stealing ideas, that would be like listening to that and hearing this kind of composition would be enough for me to say like, Hey, I should try basing a song on that kind of formula. Um, am I now stealing something? <laughs> no, let's not get into the discussion, but like that, that's the kind of things I like to listen for in songs of getting new, fresh ideas. Like it's, yes, it's a rock song. There's a guitar, there's another guitar, there's a bass, there's drums, there's vocals, but the way they are used, like that's just, I think in this song, really great. And also, like somewhere in the middle section, like after all this up and down, it goes really way all the way down. It's I also love that part. Uh, it's just yeah, really relaxing. Like that's what I most had in mind still. But now, of course, I'm again focusing on this uh, chorus melody. Is it really chorus? It's just like this light motif happening every once in a while, which is also a great melody. Like the same way your pick of the week from uh, last episode was. Those kinds of melodies you just wish you'd come up yourself. Yeah. So what was your pick of the week? 
my pick of the week is the song Runaway by Glory. I wanted to pick them for at least a few tens of episodes. Um, but I always went back with something that I found that week. Um, so Glory I've found like three years ago or something. Um, they make this instrumental post-rock with lots of, a lot of like classical instruments also and there's a lot of like vibraphone lo lots of mallets in general and i really love me some mallets uh strings <laughs> like it's um, um it's just very driving music also so let's just hear a little bit of runaway by glory Yeah, five four <laughs> time signature can't get any better than that. But there's so much in the song, like so many layers, and that just that short snippet really can't do the song justice. Uh, lots of layering, like everything I love about. Yeah, some somebody would say complicated music in a derogatory derogatory way. Um, but it's just, there's a lot, a lot of substance to it. And not just that song, like all of their songs are really amazing in, in, in that sense. So what did you think of the song? The song was, to me, it was kind of like if Mogwai was scoring a political thriller and maybe with, with, <laughs> with some JRPG like sprinkled in. Um, I, maybe like Chrono Trigger or something. Um, yeah, I, I thought it was great, and the, the, a lot of urgency and like meaning to this track. It, it felt very <laughs> like a lot of feeling was in it. Um, I, I don't know what else to say. It was it was very beautiful. <laughs> it is one of the more, I guess, nervous sounding songs because of this whole double vibraphone thing going in the background. Yeah, it, that doesn't happen in every song. It's just that I like that one the most. Like, there's a lot of more relaxing and mellow stuff uh, which you should really check out uh, this was i think from the ep falling but even the one before i think it's self-titled also glory uh really great it's all on Bandcamp. um by the way we've started now linking um those picks of the week we stopped linking them exclusively to youtube uh after like many many times that i couldn't see them thanks to gamer so we're now using this uh, um, service that we talked about before, which is Songlink, that presents you with a choice of which ser service do you now want to listen, uh, use to yeah. listen to this song, which they usually have Spotify, Apple Music, Google Play Music, YouTube, and Deezer. And um, if the song is on, on there somewhere, you will find a way. And if it's not on there, it's basic, then we can still link to people's Bandcamp. Yeah. And if it's not on there, I don't even know where we got the song, <laughs> maybe on tape somewhere. And this way it'll also be more revenue driving for those artists to yes. have it listened yes. to in the official streaming platforms. All right, and that's it for episode 58 of Bits and Pieces. Uh, as always, you can find our picks of the week collected into a playlist on Spotify. And uh, you'll find the link to that at our show notes at sunriserobot.net slash bits and pieces slash 58. And while you're there, you might as well subscribe to our show so you get new episodes automatically. Uh, you can search for bits and pieces in your favorite podcast app. Uh, I like Overcast on iPhone or there's uh, Pocket Cast or Podcast Addict that are also great choices on iPhone or Android. Um, 
Uh, you, can, you can also use the RSS button or iTunes buttons on our website uh, to pull that up in, in iTunes if you want to subscribe that way. Uh, me and Matt love feedback, and we're both on Twitter, so you could tweet us. Uh, I'm at PseudoMichael, and Matt is at Echolox, E-C-H-O-L-O-X. Yes. And, uh, you know, if you have picks of the week you want to suggest that you think we will love, I would love to hear songs uh, from the listeners. Uh, if you'd like to support the show directly, uh, you could leave a rating and review in iTunes, and that helps us out. But you can also support us directly on Patreon. If you go to patreon.com slash sunriserobot, uh, the dollars you pledge there uh, directly go to keeping the network running, the lights on, the tape rolling, all that stuff. And with that, we want to give special thanks to our Patreon sponsors, Benji Robinson, Carolyn Kraut, and Joan Edwards. We'll see you all next week. Thank you.